I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome back regular co-host Phil Stegall today to look at the October 13th, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. How are you doing today, Phil? Yes, doing awesome. Always, always look forward to these uh, mornings for me, afternoons for you. Yes, uh, when we I get appreciate to, When we cut. get to talk Mid-South Wrestling, yes. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've cracked a beer here at 11 minutes past five in the afternoon, but I guess it's probably a little bit early. But as, they, as the saying goes, it is always, it's five o'clock somewhere, isn't it? Which it's is here five today. five o'clock so. somewhere. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so onwards to this episode, because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, and we're back on YouTube this week, and this is episode number 266. Um, so we have Boyd Pierce wearing for him what I thought was a rather understated purple suit. Um, along very understated, jo- yeah. very understated, but also a more modern cut. Uh, even back then, where the the style that ranch cut suit he so flamboyant with, as I mentioned in the past, the cut of the jacket was quite common for ranchers back then in the fifties and sixties, but not to that degree of <laughs> of color. But yeah, this was a much more modern look for him. Yeah, it was. I think he looked, he looked good, but I, I do. You know, I'm I'm partial to the to the Larry suits that he wears. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so there's big news. The Rock and Roll Express, the new Mid-South Tag Team Champions, will be there. And this is just, you know, we, there's, there's more on this shortly. But they, this is just out there straight away. They throw it out there that Rock and Roll Express are back and they've won the tag team titles. Um, we've got Master G versus the highly rated Jake Roberts. And then Mag and TA defends the North American title against Skandar Akbar. We've got Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Chris Adams and the Midnight Express are here. Um, Boyd then says that along with him is a man who has proved that he has the background and that he's very knowledgeable, yeah. the finest young commentator in professional wrestling, and that's Joe Watts. What did you think of this from um, from Boyd? Because my very my, my very first note on my page, episode two sixty six, still trying to put Joel over. Yeah, and Boyd. Yes. I mean, they really, he really. It's almost it's almost a bit embarrassing, isn't it? The way that it is. I'm wondering if they weren't getting some negative mail. You know, there's a lot of write-ins back. You know, we'd write letters. You know, people write in letters of what they liked, what they didn't like. I'm wondering if they weren't getting some negative stuff on Joel and you're, you're wondering because, you know, Joel is, is a Watts by marriage. It's, you know, he's and and Cowboys put him out there. Maybe with the new wife, he's got to push Joel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering why there's so there's some reason why they're pushing him so hard. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I can imagine there were people that were writing in and, and actually to be fair to Joel, you've got Boyd classic, you know, classic stuff, Bill Watts, who's very unique but an exceptional commentator, and then you've got you know best of the bunch, Jim Ross. So it's, it's not surprising that when you get Joel out there, it, it grates on grates on the audience. And I suspect they were getting letters letters by the by the dozen with with what over a million people watching this every week, which is I mean that's a huge number of people to be watching any television show, um, right, you know, right. especially wrestling, which people by the very nature of it have always liked to pick apart. I think I, I don't think that's necessarily a you know, a new thing in terms of, you know, I want this guy to win or, you know, I, I don't want, I, I wish they hadn't done that or I didn't like that. I think that's always been a thing that even, you know, casual wrestling fans will, you know, will talk about that. Just like I suppose people do, you know, TV shows. I wish that guy hadn't, you know, I wish they hadn't killed that character off or, or done whatever. Right, right, right. But yeah, um, so Joel talks about Cornette's ultimatum last week regarding an apology and the return of his $30,000. And in ring now are Bill Watts and Jim Ross. Um, so basically, before we get to this segment, there was huge news, obviously, in the opening here. And not only are the yes, Rock Express yes. back, yeah, but they are once again the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. So this title change occurred on their first night back in the promotion on October 1st, I rem- 1984. I rem- so go ahead. I, re- I remember when this happened back because, you know, I have memories of, of back then when it happened. I have memories of around... 2000 when I watched all these shows again and they were watching them now. And I, sometimes you try to piece together, you know, cause for so long without the internet with kayfabe being dead and the territories being dead, your memories start to fade over the years, but you, mm. you know, some of our friends would get together and talk, remember that one time. And, you know, we, so we'd have some memories, but I very clearly remember the rock and roll express had been gone for a while. Of course, we'd occasionally see him, uh, in, in other territories. If, if, like I told you, I'd used to travel to relatives houses. They had a different cable package or a different cable company and I'd see different territories. Uh, we'd see rock and roll express, uh, but they were gone from Mid-South for quite a few weeks here. And then they announced that they're back and they're the champions. Oh, what? Tell me more. That was that was a big news when he said that right then. That, I remember 
being a youngster hearing that, that was big news. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I actually thought the way they did it, and I'll go on to speak about this in, 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 a, in a minute, I, I actually wish they hadn't said this at the top of the show. I, I wish they'd left it exactly as they did it, but didn't announce that they won, won the titles, because I think that would have, you know, that would have been a, even more of a shock for the people at home when they came sure. out with them. Um, sure. So basically... I was back- going to say, uh, if you remember, it was interesting to know that they brought them back as champions. Uh, I'm re- Ricky Morton was on. And for those who don't know, uh, Stephen, our, our host and founder of this podcast, was able to get Ricky Morton to come on and, and do a, a couple of co-hosting episodes of this podcast. So go back and catch it. Go back and listen. But I believe it was during that time that I heard Ricky say to you that really it was more of a draw when they didn't have the belts. Yeah. Because people paid to come see them win them, not necessarily defend them, but they wanted, they certainly wanted to see them win. So when they walk into the ring with the belts around the waist, it, but it worked good this time. Here they're, they're back and they're champions, and it was a very exciting moment. Yeah, it really, it really was. Um, so back in the ring, um, Ross runs through the ultimatum where Cornette had asked for a public apology and a return of his $30,000 fine. Otherwise, he was going to take the Midnight Express and the titles out of Mid-South. Um, Watt says that he thought the fine was fair, and he mentioned to that Cornette's mother had said that it wasn't a big deal because it was the equivalent of some overdue library fines. Um, crikey, I don't know. How, she must have taken the whole whole library home with her, I think, to, uh, to pay $30,000. But um, what said they had a lot of leverage with the tag ties, that's the Midnights, but they'd already made the decision anyway, and that's obviously to to honour the final on the stipulation. But fate intervened, and the Midnight Express are no longer the tag team champions. And let's welcome back the new Mid-South tag team champions. I just wish they just announced this just at this point because the crowd right, reaction right, was fantastic right. anyway. Um, but I think this this would have been quite quite the moment. Um, this was the biggest crowd reaction of the entire show. Yes, like I said, I've, I've gone I've reviewed it several times, and you look at the crowd as they pop. It's grown men, grown women, young men, young women, lots of teenagers, uh, black, white, a Mexican. They're all. It was a big pop for these guys, right? Here. Absolutely, yeah, R- real, real strong baby faces, and and and, and actually. As you said, appealing to you know all demographics, and that is the, that's you know that's what all the great that's what the Steve Austins and the Hogans and and the, and the, and the great memorable baby faces of the time, and and you know from this territory the Duggans and these guys etc. and JYD before that, um, you know that was what this was all about actually appealing to everyone, um, which is something that wrestling can't really is, is, is struggling to do now with any any individual person. Um, so they, they, the Rock and Roll Express came out here and they were straight into a match with um, Bad Bob Owens and Terry Ellis. Um, we got some shot. I don't think we've spoken since the new ringside cameras, the, the steady cams, and I think that added a really good dimension to the production here. Did did you notice these right. these new cameras? Um, absolutely, it was um, something that it was new and it added a, a nice dimension. I liked it. Um, I believe it was started, and I'll refer. I got some other notes to refer to WCCW later about some other things that go on here, but. You know, WCCW always had the guy hop up on the ringside with a portable camera, you know, yes. um, and that was uh, heard some you you would hear things and see things that maybe you, you might have missed before. So, yeah, the new camera angle was, was great. Yeah, really, really good. Um so Joel calls Terry Ellis a big old boy in this. And then out of nowhere, the Rock and Roll Express just won with their double drop kick in 122. So clearly there wasn't too much time in this opening um, open portion of the show with the, the interview and stuff before. What did you think of this short match of the Rock and Roll Express? Yes, yeah, about 90 seconds. I made notes here that uh, most of these matches are right. Some of the intros are longer. Some of the walk-ins uh, to the ring, the walk-in to the ring, the intro is longer than the match itself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but the, you know, it, Watts got his business in, got the champions out there, let you see him, and everybody's happy. Yeah, exactly. And I think this this is what you, this is what you need the up, the update of the story, get the champions in, and then and then go from there. And um, so in ring after the break, we have Jim Ross and Butch Reed, and Ross says that recently in New Orleans, one of the most tremendous street fights in history took place: Master G versus Butch Reed. Um, in that match, Master G won. And Ross cuts to pictures of the closing sequences of the match. So G looks like he's wearing black suit trousers and Reed is in what appears to be grey sweatpants and a vest. Um, Reed went for a pile driver, um, but he collapsed backwards. And while Bill Watson commentary that G had kicked his legs, he absolutely didn't. 
and and this was a really odd finish. And it was really, odd, very odd. Yeah, it was odd, wasn't it? And Reed attacked G after the bell was stomped. And what said, you can see there's another full house this event and talks about the crowd as far up as the, the back row and the balcony, etc. And um, Reed went up to the top rope and attempted a knee drop on, uh, but G moved. And um, after a punch, G put Reed in the dire looking leg lock he used on TV last week that Dan and I spoke about. Um, and then some referees got in and broke up the brawl. Um, what did you think of these pictures from the live event in New Orleans staff before we get on to Reed's follow-up promo? You know, generally, I'd, I'd always enjoyed them showing things that happened. Uh, you know, I never got to attend a match down in New Orleans like I had in Oklahoma City and Tulsa and Lawton and Dallas and there is never. And those always seemed to be, since they were further away in a bigger venue, the bigger, more important matches. So I always normally enjoyed seeing and and they always had that odd camera angle, you know, that down low, yes. odd camera angle. But I think that added to the mystique of this is not something you're supposed, you're supposed to pay to come see this, you know, so they, they would sell tickets by showing these clips. But if that was one of the better street fights, it certainly ended anticlimactic. It, yes. uh, str- strange finish. Um, don't know why they decided that was uh, uh, the finish, but something might've got botched there. I don't know, but maybe Reed really was, not wanting to continue, maybe he did have an injury. Uh, I don't yeah. know, but uh, could I? Uh, so I, I mean, I think no. this this um, this finish works if you're doing a situation where the guy doesn't get back up. So he he collapses, he's exhausted, and he's just done for. And, and it wasn't the same, but this it's kind of in a way, the finish of the Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage at WrestleMania Seven. Savage was just basically beaten so badly that Warrior right, put his right. put his foot on his chest and pinned him for three. And then Savage stayed down for ages afterwards. This works in that scenario, but Reed just got back up and attacked him. So it was, it was, it was really. I think it's what you said. I think that G was supposed to do something here and didn't do it, and Reed took the fall backwards. Um, and, and, you know, nothing had, nothing had happened. But we, we cut back to the show, and Jim Ross says that Butch Reed had to have arthroscopic knee surgery. I thought I was going to butcher arthroscopic there when I typed that in my notes, but I managed to, put, <laughs> I managed to say that right. So three <laughs> cheers for that. Um, Arthur, Arthur, I butchered it a second time. Arthroscopic knee surgery at the St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa. And Ross and Joel Watts were there, apparently, and they interviewed Reed shortly after the operation grid. I'd imagine that Reed, I, I think this was a legit operation, actually. And I imagine that. Um, that Reed waking up to Joel Watts and, and uh, Jim Ross there with a camera probably wasn't absolutely ideal, but he was lying down in a bed with a hospital gown on and he said that G was probably laughing at him, but he needed to understand one thing, that he will get the last laugh. Um, the audio on the next bit was, I found really, really tough Terrible. to hear. Yeah, yeah. it was hard. Really hard to hear. And at the end, Butch Reed said he's coming back and he's going to be better than ever. Um, in reality, Reed actually had two weeks off here without a match in October. So I presume this was a, you know, a scoping of the knee and he came back way too soon. Um, back to the arena and there's another really shouty promo from Reed. Um, he says he's walking again and it won't be long before he's back and his pretty face is going to be all up in G's. Um, Phil, before I share a potentially controversial opinion, what do you think of the follow-up here in the hospital and also Reed's promo? Well, um, typical for Reed. I think the audio was so difficult to understand while he's in the hospital, but you get the gist of what he's saying. You know, same thing he's going to say in the ring. I'm I'm lifting weights. I'm coming back. Uh, Interesting enough, on a side personal note, I believe this was the same hospital both my brother and my sister were born in. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So, um, but um, yeah, to be able to get into the hospital if that's where they were, looked like where they were. So, um, this wasn't unusual. Some of the stuff had gone around in some of the promotions where they would, you know, I remember seeing Kerry Von Eric's doctor visit when he had to have knee surgery or, you know, they were all visiting with the doctor and as a real doctor. And so some of this would happen, but the audio was so poor, it just kind of ruined it for me. Yeah. I mean, what I was going to add is, um, for as, as impressed as I've been in, been with Reed in the ring, I think Reed's super athlete. And sometimes during his more softly spoken promos, he just oozes charisma. But I right. find the ones where he shouts quite grating. And I, and I think that his message is lost for me in the, in the shouting. Um, and I think, I, I, you know, we, we, it's, it's tough because the audio on the, on the YouTube stuff is, is, is difficult. I think the shouting makes it even more difficult to understand these with, you know, old VHSs that have been digitized and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah, I just right. find it a bit, find it a bit grating. But I know that he's, he's looked at as, you know, quite a, He's, he's, he's kind of 
revered. It's quite a good primer, isn't it? But it just, it, for some, whatever reason, just, this just doesn't work for me with, with the shouting. When I, when I said the, the typical read, that I meant that disparagingly as in uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that shouty kind of thing because you do, especially earlier on in his time in Mid-South and other places where he is more of a, not just cool, calm, confident, but kind of cocky, but it's on the, it, it, it's in the download and he did spend some time as a baby face too mm. but i think he's trying to replace some of the heels they lost like um nikolai volkov you know and, and and so maybe they're encouraging to be more aggressive and loud but i think you're right the other type of interview came across more heelish for him yeah, yeah. oh yeah so the, the stuff with him i can't remember which video package it was maybe it was before he fought JYD in the Superdome, but the stuff when he was training and he was just speaking normal, I thought was was like really really good stuff. But yeah, it's um, this didn't work for much for me. But next up, we've got a real treat. Um, we've got Jake Roberts, who we've seen before, but not for many months. And um, but he's still wearing his bizarre pajama like red baggy trousers, um, and he's going up against Master G. And these two would bat- battle in a famous match around eighteen months after this at WrestleMania two. Um, what did you think of Roberts' ring attire here? Well, interested in enough, uh, I told you I was going to mention some other things about the WCCW. Yes. Uh, there are, uh, in this episode of Mid-South, there's at least uh, three people appear, three wrestlers appear that during the same week appearing in WCCW. So we got some talent exchange, which we're used to. That happens yep. a lot. The, the talent exchange is going on uh, right about this same time. And, 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 of course, all three of the people that appeared on Mid-South that are really from world-class, they all three lose, uh, which would back then give us the feeling like, yeah, WC, you know, world-class is good, but we're a little bit better, you know, because this is my home territory, right? So yeah. uh, to see Jake get beat, uh, Jake, that same week in world-class were exactly the same trousers that right, you just okay. mentioned and the same, the same <laughs> pants. Now, he always wore some type of karate gi or sweatpants or trousers, but this was exactly the same pair. So that was his go-to uh, outfit today. It was, it was and it, I mean, he's, he was never known as kind of a body guy in the WF, but he's, he's certainly his physique um, – was it was improved, shall we say, on this on those special WF protein shakes that I'm sure he was he was right. uh, he was using. Right. I don't know how old Jake Roberts was actually. I'm just going to quickly look that up because he he, he um he's the sort of guy that's probably looked he probably looked mostly the sort of same age for while most of his career. Didn't he? Up, yeah, yeah twenty nine, I think up, he was. Okay, they mentioned that um, when they introduced him in the Mid South ring, and they mentioned he is from Texas. Mm. Okay, which he was. He was actually trained by Fritz von Erich. Mm. I looked that up. But when he appeared at World Class this same week, they said from Louisiana. Jefferson. How interesting! And is that, is that because time, they wanted him to be a a heel? I guess yes, rather than the hometown yes. boy. Yeah, yes. In Oklahoma, they make him the. If you're from Texas, you're a heel. And often you'll see in World Class, they'll say somebody's from Oklahoma when they weren't really from Oklahoma, just because. That's, you know, we're mortal enemies. Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. are mortal enemies for a number of reasons. Um, at this time, when we were watching this back in the day, none of us had any idea that Jake the Snake was related to Grizzly Smith or yes. Sam Houston. We had yeah. no idea. But years later, you know, just, you know, 20 years later, hear interviews with Jake and talked about growing up with Grizzly Smith, you know, and of course, Sam Houston, I guess, is his half-brother. But Jake t- told one story about uh, while he was still in the dark, he w- they hadn't smartened him up yet. He didn't know it was a work, and he is a young teenager, and his dad's going to take him to the matches or somewhere, and they get in the vehicle, and there's two very large men in the vehicle with him, and he just thinks they're co-workers of his dad's on the TV show behind the ring. Turned out it's the assassins. Oh, you know, right. Or, okay. or the, yeah. You know, a, a couple of masked men, you know, but they're sure not going to smarten him up because he's a teenager and he can't know yet. Wow. So interesting. And I know that there's the, you know, there's a lot out there about Grizzly Smith and his, you know, his, his, some of the stuff that he was involved with and, um, you know, quite unsavory stuff with him and uh, him and Jake and and, and the such like. Right. But yeah, um, right. absolutely. Uh, so 
in this one, um, Roberts is on top early on before G nips up and hits a flying head scissors. Um, there's a flying tackle, and then he gets in this leg lock again. Um, yeah. What did you think of this? Well, what did you think of this leg lock first, and, and, and then this this match that G ultimately won in two fourteen? Yep, another another two minute match. Um, it was interesting to to see a new leg hold. You know, I'd never seen anybody do that. I don't think I've seen anybody but Master G uh, use that type of leg lock, and Jake certainly sells it. Um, uh, and I guess maybe we didn't see in the street fight. Maybe Master G at one point he certainly used it after the match on on Butch Reed. But yeah. uh, I didn't notice uh, after Jake took a, a super kick. Uh, or took a kick from Master G. He went down and he did his slither snake backwards. So he's already working on his snake moves. He slithered back. I don't know if you caught that, but uh, he took a kick to the face, went down, rolled this over. This is after the, after the submission, was this? Was, or was it during the match? During the match. During the match, during the match yeah. Yeah, during the match. And he took a kick to the face, uh, goes down to the ground, rolls to his belly, then pushes you know backwards to the corner, does that snake slither thing that he – started doing years later but i'm sure the week before they said and jake the snake roberts will be here next week so i guess he was probably known as that by this point but um obviously a moniker right yeah yeah, i don't think the snake obviously the snake was a a literal you know literal um sort of translation of that when there was actually a snake there um who i always whenever i see jake on on uh things i watch now from that time i always feel sorry like all the all the animals in wwf around that time i just think Crikey, what a life would a python have on the road with the WF in 1980? Well, so, yeah. I, heard, I heard Jake do an interview about the snakes, and they had um, they used a service. It wasn't just a pet snake that he kept and hold. Oh, around. really? I didn't know that. Okay, now, yeah. It was a service that they used, and they'd rotate them in and out. Uh, I can't remember the details right now, but I'll find. It was interesting to hear um, how they, you know, even back then there was you know, being careful of animal abuse and stuff, but not to the point they would today. And that kind of thing would never, never happen today, but it was a paid service that they used and, and they it wasn't always the same snake. Damien wasn't always the same. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered if they, cause, cause the one thing I I wondered when I, cause I did the SummerSlam 90 review a few weeks ago when he was, it was him bad news brand with the snake versus the rats. Basically. I I wondered whether he took this, took a snake a house shows, but I guess he did. And I, I presume the British Bulldogs did the same with, with their dog as well. That obviously a dog, you can I guess guess back then you could probably put a dog on a plane, you know, with you in the, sure. in the cabin. So sure. not quite not quite as bad. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure those animals. I mean, I'm sure those animals, if if only they could talk, they probably saw some very interesting stuff back in those back in those raging eighties days in the in the WWF. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I was just about, about this leg lock. I mean, it's it's just I just find it a little bit bizarre because the guy that's taking yeah. it is basically lying on his back with his legs straight up in the air, and not, neither right. leg is particularly being manipulated. So right. I don't know. This is um, yeah, I, I, uh, I I'm struggling with uh, with this submission. I'm not sure how much more I can take. I know I know Master G is only around for another couple of months, but yeah, I, I don't want to. I can't see that submission too many more times. It's just not. Can't not say I've for seen me. anyone else use that hold you know at all so no i think they probably yeah i think they probably saw this one and just thought this is the, just, just not because the thing is you know even even back then um there had to be a degree of believability about what you were what you did it's not it's not, it's not so um bad now because i think that the prevalence of mixed martial arts i think if you if you finish a wrestling match with a hold that was obviously not you know, obviously not right, supposed to be doing right. what it was supposed to be doing to, to their to their opponent. I think that you know that would be, you know, that would have quite a lot of derision. But back then, I guess you could work a few things, but right. not so far that actually their legs just sticking up and nothing's happening. Right. Um, and for your younger for your younger listeners that 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 don't know, there's, uh, you know, now any somebody gets figure four leg lock on them, it's going to be reversed or broken pretty quick. We went years. In years without anybody ever get out of Ric Flair's figure four leg lock or Greg mm-hmm. the Hammer leg lock. It was a submission hold that once it was on, it was done. It was over. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and some of those things are, I think are missed nowadays where you can take somebody's finisher five, six, seven, eight times. You know, the, the finisher that someone used to move all the way to the top of the ranks and defeat every opponent. And then someone takes their finisher a whole bunch of times. It just, you know, but the le- the leg lock things were were believable because 
we would try them. And if you, if, if you did it for real, it, Figure four hurts really, really bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, big time. We, we, I remember it's my friend Lewis. Old, yeah, we used to, used to put that on each other in my my parents' living room. I remember, I remember oh, we okay. we did it once, uh, maybe at like a four a.m. after stand up for some WF pay per view. We were about nineteen years old, so I know. Yeah, it definitely hurts. I, I completely agree with you about the finishes. I, th- th- this, there's a couple of things I've got a lot of. Actually, I shouldn't say there's a couple of things that bug me. That I have lots of bugbears in wrestling, but sure. um, some of, one of them is I feel like match lengths now. That lots of main events are way too long. You don't need everything. Does if everything is thirty minutes? If every wrestling championship match is thirty minutes, then the first twenty minutes don't matter. You, oh, good it, point. It should. Yeah, it's like it's like a boxing match. You might you might you know if you if you were a big fan of boxing, I guess a lot of championship boxing fights probably go to points. But you, you'll get you know one out of five might be an, an early knockout. Or something it's a big shock, and I, I do think there's a lot to be said in wrestling for not relying on the same storyline tropes. The other thing that I used to really like, and, and um, NWA used to do this a lot, was like the, the, the roll-up finish or the small package or something like that. I think that's, you know, if, 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 you, if you're suspending disbelief for a moment and this is a real sporting endeavour and your objective is to pin your opponent to the mat, why not try? You, you, of course you would try a little sneaky of one, course. wouldn't you? Of course you would. Absolutely. So I think Absolutely. that's a big thing. But, but, the, but the funniest example of that... Um, that uh, finisher thing which used to absolutely would drive me insane was when St- was Steve Austin in 2001 was a heel Kurt Ang- he was feuding with Kurt Angle throughout the whole summer and Kurt Angle would kick out the stunner in every single match sometimes he kicked I think at the summer same 2000, 2001 mm. he kicked out three and then they flipped them both so Angle went heel and Austin went face and then in, and in December he pinned him with one stunner it's like, well, what, mm-hmm. what, uh, what, excuse me, right. I, what, right. I was watching right. three months ago and he kicked out of three of these. Is he, is he not been right. training? Like, what's that? It's just bizarre. <laughs> I hate stuff like that. Yeah. Sure. It's just, it's sure. just so, uh, funnily enough, I just, I just finished, uh, I don't know if you've read Jim Ross's, uh, both of his books are really, really good, but his second book is, is, pr- is all WWE because it's from 99 onwards, I think. Um, but there's so much stuff about the kind of disintegration of Vince McMahon in that as a kind of creative force and all the sure. things that, um, Kind of all of the the yes men that he surrounded himself with, um, and all and all the things where he's sort of taken his eye off the ball as he's well, I, I, I would say as he got, as he got older, but I, I won't blame age on it. I think it's just the case that the guy is, you know, lost the lost ability to do professional wrestling. But I think that's that's the thing with their companies. You just re, pro, pro wrestling is not difficult. You know, you need some creative people in there and some good minds. But sure. setting up two people to have a you know, a predetermined match where you can control, you can control the outcome, you know, et cetera. It's, 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 it's not difficult. Um, anyway, right. I, I digress. Be, it's, yeah. It's never, uh, you know, just, just like in any sport, but you're perfectly dead on in boxing. It might go 12 rounds, but it might end in the first round. Exactly. And, uh, it could, and it could be champions and it could be, uh, two very well-matched boxers, but somebody might get in that, that lucky punch. Um, and you're saying, you know, if this were, you know, we're going to suspend, uh, uh, suspend belief. And if for this be believable, then these things, you know, would happen sometimes again, for your younger listeners back here and back in the days of kayfabe, you absolutely believe this, or you kept your mouth shut, especially if you're watching or going, if you're the ones saying, well, that doesn't look real, you'd get shouted down. Oh, yeah, of course you would. The peer pressure, totally opposite, you know. Yeah. Uh, we were all buying into this, absolutely. Yeah, big time. And I think, I'm just thinking of examples of that in sport, like, you know, that uh, I know Buster Douglas and Tyson wasn't, um, you know, wasn't early on, but every every now and again, and this is not something I would use too often, but perhaps you know, let's let's just use AEW as a new new company of you know no no back history. But every five or six years, you can you can do a championship match on TV where the champion's been champion for you know ages and is a, is a, is a is a thing, and he loses to somebody, and and it's and it, you know you want to you want the right guy in that role. Um, but you, 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 I think that wrestling's you know you've got you've got to do a few more of those things to try and make it more more real in inverted commas and not these always these, these, these exceptionally long matches where actually you go, I mean, I, I'm watching a lot of Bret Hart matches at the moment. A lot of his matches are sub 15 minutes and they're great. Like it doesn't need to be, everything right. doesn't need to be some epic, you know, five act drama. Just, just get in there, get out and, and, you know, get, make it good. Well, sure. Yeah. Sure. Just, just a couple of months ago at, on UFC, um, who were the two contestants? Um, 
Oh, Cowboy and oh, and uh, uh, McGregor was this McGregor? One? Yeah, it wasn't ten seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great build up, but it wasn't but ten seconds. And the long. crowd, sure. the crowd ate it up, didn't they? I, I, yeah, I think I think there's a, there's a lot more use for those sort of tropes. Um, so next up, we have the big North American Championship match. Um, Matt, why do you think Magnum didn't have an entrance by this point? Because obviously he's you know. It, kind of top baby face I guess obviously Duggan's right up there with him but lead champion but he's always just in the ring and they didn't have any music for him maybe it's because he had to they wanted him to talk first you know mm-hmm. but maybe they didn't have time I mean there's a lot packed into this show yes yeah you know there's six matches and 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 a lot of in-ring talking so yeah no no definitely um this next bit I found quite confusing. So Killer Khan was out with Scanner Akbar. Uh, Magnum was in the ring and got on the microphone and he said that he needs to say something. He said that somehow that low down early lad had got his home phone number and he called him. And he said, and unless I've mis- misheard this, and please please correct me in a second when, when, I, when I've kind of recapped this, he said he'd heard that Magnum had, had said that the people of Mid-South had always given sanctuary to black athletes in Mid-South like JYD, Brickhouse Brown, etc. Magnum said he checked with his friends to find out who was spreading this rumour. He said he was the first man to get tarred, the first person to get strapped, and that everyone has always had a fair shake there. And he wanted him to not call his house again and stop spreading rumours. Help me out, Ifil. Did Magnum use the wrong word here? Have I misunderstood? I mean, I, I, read, I heard this as sanctuary for black athletes made me think of somewhere where they would be treated equally rather than the opposite. So what, what have I missed here? Or do you think, do you think, well, do you think Magnum uh, bodged this? I'm wondering... I'm wondering if they didn't have him say something because there might have been some backlash over what happened the previous week. Now, I know it certainly would happen now. Let me tell you what happened in the previous episode or two that would absolutely not fly today. But when the white man, Buddy Landell, took the strap to the black man's back, Mm. that was, even back then, that was uh, a little uncomfortable. Mm. We'd had recently had the uh, TV miniseries out called Roots. Um, uh, I don't know if you are, f- are familiar with there's a, a television miniseries on American television uh, about Roots, and it really brought to the forefront what a lot of us didn't know about how the blacks are treated. Um, this is around 1980, I think. That the, mm. So this is a few years after that, but it made quite an impression, and it showed a lot of... Uh, of the uh, inappropriate, not inappropriate, it's not even a strong enough word, but the terrible treatment of uh, some of the some of the black people. So uh, I'm wondering if maybe they got it because Watts is pushing the envelope on some of these, you know, but um, I think they might have got some backlash on some racism thing here. And yeah, sanctuary yeah, is probably not yeah. the right word, but probably not the right word, but um, – if he was sent out there to give a message, he was saying, "Hey, listen, I, I got strapped just like everybody else. I got yes, hard that makes feathered. a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, he's saying, "Hey, I got strapped first. I got strapped too. You know, so he's trying to show that everybody's getting equal treatment. I guess I'm not yeah. sure. It was it was a very strange, strange segment. Yeah, it was, and I think I think actually that's that's probably exactly what it was. I, I think that maybe maybe between them in terms of working out the verb and obviously this is a scripted primer and stuff he, he would have given been given a direction here by by bill watts um, and i guess um bill dundee at the time as well but and in, t- in terms of the actual message i i think yeah it was confusing wasn't it but i, th- I think that i think that is what that is what it was um so i've i've never seen killer khan in action before um, and joel called him the man that nearly put under the giant out of wrestling by breaking his ankle so i, I looked up um Khan. oh absolutely are you yeah. telling me before this you'd never seen killer khan before? i've never seen killer khan before no i've never amazing. seen never seen a match with him yeah yeah it's, it's, also, it's really strange isn't it at this time, this he's he is a star in world class at this time. Not a star, oh, okay. but a heel. Yeah, this is part of the talent exchange. Absolutely. So, so Khan, who was born in Japan, though, he was built from Mongolia, yes. and debuted yes. in, in 1971. He was a fixture in the in the old JWA, which was the Japanese NWA affiliate, which was established by Ricky Dozan, who was one of the most famous and influential men in, in Japanese wrestling. And after Giant Bubba and Antonio Noki went their separate ways to form New Japan and All Japan Pro Wrestling, Khan went with Anoki and was featured there for a number of years as Mas- Mas- oh, I knew I was going to botch this. Masashi Azawa. He debuted in... The, you wouldn't believe that I've done 10 hours of Japanese with that pronunciation, would you? Right. Quite <laughs> um, he, basically, that 10 hours of Japanese enabled me to order... I, I, well, my first trip to Tokyo, there was three of us, so I learned how to order three beers, but... 
if you ask me how to order four, five, or two, I've got no idea. So there we go. Um, he, he debuted in the States in 1979 in Florida um, and was a regular part of Mid-South for a lot of 1980-1982. Um, thereafter, his appearances were more sporadic, and this was actually his final television appearance in the promotion. Um, he worked all Japan, um, which was likely a controversial move given his roots and earlier work for Anoki um, in 85, 86, and 87, before a run in the WWF on spring, which included 21 matches with world champion Hulk Hogan, including head line in big arenas such as the sports arena in LA, um, the Spectrum in Philadelphia. And I'm sure these were some fantastic paydays towards the back end of his career. Um, his last match actually came that year, age just 40, in a losing effort to Don Morocco. Um, interestingly enough, at house show at the Pontiac Silverdome. So obviously you're familiar with Killer Killer Khan. What are your what are your memories of him, you know, outside and, and what are what are your memories of him in, in Mid-South as well? He was um yeah, he was I remember seeing Khan in almost every territory. He kind of had a wild man character where he would just he would scream loudly while he was attacking his opponent sometimes. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it in this match, but I think maybe it caught a little bit of it, but he'd get really make some loud high pitched screams as he would, you know, chop and things. And I didn't know he's from from Japan until years later. He, you know, I was, he said he's from Mongolia, which mean just to me was China, you know, didn't know. Um, but yeah, he, he absolutely cafe broke Andre, the giant's angle ankle. Mm. Uh, uh, um, there was a match where he took out Andre, the giant broke his ankle. I think doing knee drops off the top rope as Andre had his foot on the ropes or something, but saw Con and I saw him in, in Georgia and certainly saw him in uh, world class and, and, um, he had a run, and I think early on he did a bunch of shows in Mid South before, if I remember, maybe in eighty. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, definitely. It was a big fixture in eighty. Yeah, yeah, most of the year spent in Mid South. Okay, so he wasn't. So when he appeared here, he wasn't anybody new to us. We'd certainly and like this. This exact same week that card I was telling you, where Jake the Snake wore the same outfit, Con mm. was in that that same show in Dallas that same week that this, that this show's going on. What, what was the date of this episode? Uh, this was October the 13th, 1984. Okay. This is just a, a couple weeks before Jake and con and, and Chris Adams are on the same card in world-class. So it's interesting. So clearly that, you know, th- these guys are getting together to um, not only the Memphis talent exchange, but I guess there's a lot of promoters that were, you know, that, that you know, they're not particularly stepping on each, each other's toes, so, so why not? But I, I, I do find I do find that so fascinating in terms of like if I'd love to be able to sort of place myself in a you know at a home in the states in '84 and just watch all this wrestling and stuff because it must have been incredible having cable television and just this this you know whole wide world. I was talking to, to Terry a couple of weeks ago in terms of he he remembers watching the MSG house shows and stuff on the MSG network. It's just like all this stuff must have been. It must have been a wonderful time to be a, be a wrestling fan until, you know, unfortunately all these territories died out in the years, the years after. Right. But this is, this is, I mean, this is about as good as it gets in terms of um, when you'd a long, find long a, time. When you'd find a new territory broadcasting on your cable station, it was like finding a whole new parallel universe. Mm. You know, it was just amazing to be able to see, um, you know, wrestling from other parts of the country. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, we had it a tiny, tiny, tiny bit here because I remember we had, so we obviously had the WWF. The WWF is really, you know, in terms of every anyone that knows wrestling here that is, is, that is probably my age, a tiny bit older and younger is WWF. If you're, if you're my age or a little bit older, you remember the popular British wrestling in the 70s and 80s, but but that that was cancelled on UK television in 1988. So, I mean, you're talking about a long time um, from then to now where we barely had any television on, barely ever had any wrestling on free television in the UK. So it was very limited. But I remember we got um, on one of the old satellite channels, we got some USWA stuff. Uh, probably around 91, mm-hmm. it was all dated. But I remember right. on that, that was the first time, because Kerry Von Eric was in the WF at that point, and I was a big fan of his. But on the, well, on one of those USWA shows, which I guess was probably like 80 or 89, they showed some stuff from Texas Stadium where he beat Ric Flair. But I remember, I'm sure this was the same for, for wrestling fans in the States, but it's, it was all, it's all, especially back then, it was all always kind of like a, you were filling in a jigsaw puzzle of your knowledge where you could, because no one ever really talked about the past on current television, because it was like, that wasn't, especially WF were really, uh, I mean, they talk about the past all the time now, but they never spoke about their past and obviously no no one else's past either. So you're constantly, well, I've seen Ric Flair there and Kerry Von Eric was there and, you know, what was that? And then it wasn't, 
you used to get wrestling magazines and stuff, but it wasn't until years later when, you know, documentaries and WF bought everything up, you could, you know, you could really learn about some of this stuff and, 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 and books obviously as well. A lot of like Mick Foley's book talks about some of the territory stuff and, and, and Rick flares and things like that. But it's always been a constant kind of jigsaw puzzle trying to fill in all the gaps really. Sure. Um, so in ring, uh, Khan got the spike move on TA and the crowd really got into this uh, with a big TA chant as the champion looked to be in serious jeopardy. Um, he got out with a couple of kicks that looked a little bit low uh, before smashing the belly-to-belly belly belly suplex on um, Khan, albeit referee Carl Fergie got hit with Khan's legs. Um, Skandar Akbar got involved with the DQ in just under five minutes, um, but Magnum managed to fight them off to the delight of the crowd. And um, What did you think of this one? Okay, now to, uh, to Khan's credit here, this five-minute match is by far the longest match on the card, and you wouldn't do that with a jobber. No. If this was Big Bob Owens, this match would have been 90 seconds. Yes, yeah. With a belly-to-belly. Uh, we'd all seen Khan, as I just mentioned, in World Class, and he was using that spike to win match after match. So when Magnum breaks it, that's a big deal. Yes, yeah. We never. I don't think we'd probably ever seen anybody not – and, you know, maybe a Von Erich. We'd probably seen a Von Erich get out of the, the, the spike. I'm not sure. But at this time, Khan was a big heel in Texas, defeating people with the spike. So when they have Magnum break that spike, at, that's a big deal. And, and, the, you know, the, and this ending looked totally believable. It was, it was a good ending, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to, I don't want to give away any spoilers, um, but I am very interested, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, uh, I'm very interested what was – going on behind the scenes with Magnum around this time, uh, because I, I know I know where his story sort of goes mm -hmm. in the coming weeks. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. I, ju I just wonder what the thinking behind that was, because I, cause he, he, Magnum, unfortunately, isn't long for this uh, long for this promotion, but I, I wondered by this stage, because obviously this, this was a big win for him, wasn't it? I mean, they, they brought in a star that was known... Um, known in Mid South, and, he, and and though he only won by DQ, he, as you say, he broke the he broke the the, the the you know the dangerous submission. And and I tell you what, if that that crowd thought that was it, didn't they? Because they were chanting and they were they were bought in that the, the champion was in serious trouble there. Oh, sure, that was deadly. Yeah, that's, that yeah. was a sure. Um, so after the break, Jack Victory was in the ring and he was up against Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who got a great ovation from the crowd. Um, Duggan brought a bag into the ring and he said to Jim Ross on the mic that included a personality change and he pulled out a football helmet. Um, Phil, was this, I presume this was his, was this his college team or something, this emblem on it? Yes, the Southern, yeah. Southern Methodist University out of Texas. Uh, they were the Mustangs, the Southern mm. MS, M, SMU Mustangs. They had a very storied program, very good program. The the only school in my lifetime, major college football, that were so penalized by the NCAA that they had received what they called the death penalty and they couldn't play for an entire year, disbanded the team. They had some cheating and some things going on. Oh, yeah. uh, but but no, SMU is a very uh, very well known college, and that was his college team. Um, I misspoke earlier when I said that uh, Jake the Snake was trained by Fritz. I misspoke. It, it's Hacksaw. I'm sorry. Oh, right. Um, okay, yeah. But Hacksaw then went on to play for the Atlanta Falcons. That's how good he was as a college player, that he did play for the Atlanta Falcons until uh, some knee issues uh, took him out of being able to play football. So it's interesting with these guys. I mean, it just it just goes to show how hard a sport, um, you know, gridiron is. Because mm -hmm. a lot a lot of these guys who were able to, um, you know, were able to play, um, you know, able to able to, to wrestle, you know, a, a, a very good level, you know, weren't able to play football because of injuries. Bill Bill Goldberg's a fine example of that. I mean, I know that he wasn't absolutely. You know, he's never absolutely. on anyone's top, you know, top list of. Um, of, of technical wrestlers, but an incredible athlete. I mean, some of the stuff sure. that he was able to able to pull off, and obviously he he was you know he was a pretty high level footballer. Was, was he at the Falcons as well, Goldberg? Yes, he was. Yeah. And the thing of it is, in in football, you don't have anybody putting you over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes in the injury, it's it's something like that in football where if you're time in the what we call the 40 yard dash is a half a second slower that's not going to make a bit of difference in the ring mm. right i mean but if you're competing for a spot against somebody and your 40 yard dash is two tenths of a second slower 
that could make a difference in whether you get a job or not. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're very you, fine lines, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ex- extreme, extremely so. So um, this was a really, yeah, this is a really short match. So basically, um, Duggan just got in there and, and beat the guy up and won with his body check spear move in 134. So another quite short one on the show this week. Um, with uh, As we've said, there's a lot going on here, so probably not, not unexpected. Um, anything to yeah, add on this uh, Duggan match? Yeah, they're just uh, again another ninety-second match, but he brings out the the helmet. The intro again is longer than the match almost. Yes, yeah. but they're bringing out the helmet to to set up the match with you know Doctor Death because Doctor Death made the challenge obviously, so he has to answer the challenge. Yes, indeed, indeed. So. We've got my highlight of the show coming up next. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> uh, we've got Terry Taylor versus Dale VC. Uh, and we, when we returned from the break, we had Boyd Pierce and Adrian Street at the desk. Boyd says he saw something last week that he's never seen before. Boyd says he's always been, he's been, sorry, Boyd says he's been involved in wrestling since before Mid-South ever started. He was always of the opinion that wrestling was the sport of kings and the sport of men. But last week, he literally kissed that title away from Terry Taylor. Street, as quick as anything, responded yes. to say, sport of kings, well, the queen rules queen in England. Queen rules in England, <laughs> <laughs> You know, some things are better done with a kiss. I, I literally, I lost, I cracked up when he said this. What a, what a line. Well, the queen rules in England, my dear. Just incredible. Just an incredible line from Street here. And there's more you know, to come. But so here's ahead, the thing. I, in, in, in 84, I can almost guarantee you I did not catch the, the, entend- the double entendre of this queen comment. I mean, mm. I'd probably heard of a drag queen, you know, but uh, we, you know, we weren't here in my sheltered little world of Oklahoma. We did not know about alternate lifestyles very much at all. I'm just mm. telling you. It was, and you and I, had a a conversation in our private messages over Twitter when uh, about a month ago or so when they first brought in um, Adrian and you watched the first episode said, well, you know, they didn't push that button as much, you know, to their credit. They haven't really, do you remember saying that? Yeah, I said, I, well, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought, and I said, like, I, and I, I know we're, we're taking this slightly out of out of order, so you haven't heard the comments last week. I thought they pressed the button pretty hard last week. There you actually, go. Okay. Yeah, okay. very hard. But yeah. this week, I don't think they did really. Actually, I thought Street was more. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this as we go through it. But I thought Street was more quite entertaining. I thought it was really, in fact, not quite. It was really, really entertaining. And I thought this was. He was you know, relatively see, well you, done, actually. Again, for, for what this character was, they, they could have pushed this. You know, this obviously. You know, we we all know what this is, and we all know the time, etc. And you know, that is what that is what it is. You know, it just is. But oh, they, no, you know, no, they're I'm not they're not you. pushing this as hard as I think they potentially could have done. And also, I tell you what, and I said this to Dan last week: the WWF in you know over a decade after this pushed the Gold Dust character. Yes, incredibly yes. hard, and and and, and yes. Jerry Lawler said terrible things to him on on Raw. So yes. actually, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not you know, this I wouldn't say it's progressive of Mid South, but it's not far off to be fair. Oh, no, to no, him. back yeah. no, you got back then. No, that was as far as they could have gone. I yeah. promise, I promise you that that made Terry Taylor look defiled. Mm. I promise you, he lost fans <laughs> over that. I'm just telling you. Oh, really? When, wow, interesting. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. When 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 Adrian says, "Well, the Queen rules in England," did you notice he slipped a hand up to Boyd's shoulder? Oh, Boyd, 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 did you? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yes. He said you've added a new dimension to wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, I thought. I mean, again, good on good on Boyd because you know, again, I you know, again, perhaps it, perhaps this is because. Perhaps I'm giving them too, too much credit, and actually, it is because you know they couldn't push it any harder. And that, and let's be thankful for that because we're reviewing it obviously with 2020 eyes now. But actually, right. you know, th- th- you know, you know, I, I'm I'm enjoying this. You know, I mean, I'm enjoying this this oh, Asian yes. street character um, quite yes. a bit so far. Yeah, um, and here in the inner in the in the process, he's sounding extremely intellectual. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. Um, no, so, he's not playing a dumb character. No, he's not, and he's playing a tough guy in the ring as well, which I which I like a lot. Yes. Uh, 
And, yes. and yeah, as, as you said, Boyd said he's really added a, a new dimension to uh, professional wrestling. And Adrian says that they can that Taylor can kiss the championship goodbye. Um, so Boyd says now that we're going to the ring to see Taylor and Streets adds hilarity. Yes, the ex champion, um, right, just brilliant, right. just absolutely brilliant. And he's got a yeah. few good lines of commentary as well. He praises Taylor that, on a good. Sorry, that go ahead, kind Bill. of. I'm going to interrupt. That kind of comment is sharp and as quick as what you'd hear from Jim Cornette. Yes, yeah. And he really, Those, Joe, he really reminded me of Regal in his stuff as well. Like that was, that was a, a oh, thing, sure. I think, definitely uh-huh. in terms of his sort of quick wit and stuff. Um, and Street had a, really, a few really good lines of commentary as well. He praised Taylor on a good move, but then added that he couldn't do it to him. He also called him Terrence, which I really laughed at. Yes, and said, yes, yes, Terrence. Yes. And said that he should eat all of his cornflakes, dear, if he wants another title shot. Um, and boy, just laid out completely during this and let street have the floor and this is a prime and great example of just letting a creative guy you know you're off the reins you, you know we trust you go and do go and do your job and taylor ultimately won this with the flying forum off the ropes in just under two minutes uh, boyd announced that street would be defending next week against gentleman chris adams and street said that adams was british and had a judo background he was into martial arts but he hadn't studied the admiral lord mount evans start of wrestling I can't, like yeah, he has yeah. but he sure is a worthy yeah. opponent i'm, I'm just going to give you I'm, after your view on this i'm going to give you a bit of background about what this was so what, what did you think of street's performance here it was brilliant. Like I said, yeah, he, sounded, was, he sounded, he sounded, those quick little quips, like I said, well, the queen rules in England. Well, th- that double meaning there was brilliant, you know, uh, and then putting a little hand on Boyd was perfect. Uh, and then the, like the comments, like you mentioned, like Terrence and I mean, Terry Taylor's in the ring performing, but Adrian stole the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Big, big time. I thought he was such a highlight. It was so, so, so hilarious. Um, so I don't, I'd, ne- I'd never heard this expression. And I thought, has, where has, where has Street got this from? But the Admiral Lord Mount Evans rules were a set of professional wrestling rules, mainly used in British wrestling. They were named after Edward Evans, uh, first Baron Mount Evans, who ordered a unified set of rules written out for professional wrestling in the British Isles. Um, the style of wrestling under the Mount Evans rules is advertised by promoters as modern freestyle wrestling. So apparently professional wrestling, in the and I never knew any of this, professional wrestling in the UK under all-in rules, which is essentially no holds prohibited, have been popular in the 1930s. However, as a result of a shift in focus away from technical skill and towards violence, including use of weapons. I, I can't believe that the UK was like hardcore wrestling in the 1930s. And it's it amazing. Ba- yeah, it's amazing. It was banned towards the end of the decade by the, decade by the London City Council. And then after a failed attempt to relaunch the sport with the show at the Harringay Arena in Middlesex in 1947, um, which was condemned by journalists as being fake, Admiral Lord Mount Evans, along with radio personality, Commander Archibald Bruce Campbell, is about as British a name you're ever going ever to hear, Morris Webb MP and Norman Morell, an amateur wrestling champion and professional wrestling promoter, formed a committee to formalise professional wrestling in the UK and wrote, write up a set of unified rules. Um, and basically, once these rules were written, they were universally accepted by about 95% of promotions in the UK. And that was the way... So this is all stuff like uh, the, the rounds and, you know, best two out of three falls and all that sort of stuff. Um, and also, interestingly... Um, Police kept female wrestling banned in Greater London until 1987. So there wow. you go. There's some. I, I never knew any of that. But I, I, wow. the, the fact that we we had a hardcore wrestling uh, community in the, in the UK in the 1930s has blown my mind a bit. Um, but there we go. I'm going to ta- take my uh, my tweed blazer off and, and no longer be a history teacher about uh, about British wrestling. But yeah, I just thought that was that was really fascinating. Um, and the British invasion of Mid-South continues next. We've got Chris Adams and Jim Horton against the Midnight Express. Um, so in ring, Steve Williams came out of nowhere and he said that he accepted Jim Duggan's challenge and implored him to bring the helmet down because he was going to take it away from him. Cornette then got on the microphone and said, a lot of people write them off, write the Midnight's off, but they're, they're most dangerous when they're down. And, and then I love the next bit. He said that he's seen a lot of signs in the arenas calling him a wimp. And if he sees any more, he's going to go out in the crowd and remove them. Again, I thought it was just great. What did you think of Cornette here? Oh, yeah, classic Cornette. He, yeah. It, it, you know, it's like 
if the crowd's chanting something and he tells them to shut up, it's just so they'll do it more. Yes. You know? He knows yeah. how to work a crowd and get them riled up. And that's what he's doing here. Getting everybody riled up. Yeah. Just, just absolutely classic stuff. Um, mid, the Midnights are even in somewhat matching trunks this week, which is a bonus. Um, and Adams and Eaton started, and this is really good fun with the crowd into it. Um, and again, with Adams and Condry, um, and these two went back, back and forth. Um, albeit Adams famed super kick only glanced the side of Condry's head. Um, a glance might be being kind on that move. Um, you could kind of see where this was going um, because we've, we've had a few uh, tag matches on Mid-South where you've had a name tag team versus a name and also, you know, a, a right, three and a half right. guy. Even actually, right. I saw Mr. Wrestling 2 in one of these many, many moons ago. Uh, so sure. you could kind of see when, I, when Horton was coming in, the Midnight's got on top. Um, and Joel said on commentary, this made me laugh as well, that Eaton was verbally and physically abusing Horton. Sometimes the, the verbal abuse was worse than the physical. I'm it's a really good line from Joe. I mean, Joe, Joe comes out with some good stuff, but he's just not, he's not super polished, sadly. Um, and the Midnight's ultimately won with, uh, with their move that was very similar to Demolition's finisher with a backbreaker um, and an elbow drop combo from Eaton on the top rope in 4.30. Um, so what did you think of this, uh, this Midnight's and Horton and Adams match? Um, you know, at four minutes and 30 seconds, the only reason why it's longer than some of the other squash matches is because there's three stars and, you know, you got to get everybody... Yeah a chance to get in the ring. So you'd, you expect a, a tag team match to be longer than a singles match. And this one was, it still wasn't as long as the um, Magnum TA uh, match with killer con, which is almost, you know, five minutes long, mm. three times as long as the other matches. Um, but you know, the, the, the talent exchange continues here with Chris Adams, a big star. I'm telling you at this time that this is going on, He's tag teaming with Kevin Von Erich in world okay. class. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he is a major star in Texas. And, of course, for him to lose, it's got to be the, you know, uh, the other guy gets pinned. Like you said, you knew where it was going. But Chris was teaming with, with Kevin. Uh, you know, and the bringing out uh, Dr. Death, there's really not any reason for Dr. Death to be in the ring with the Midnight Express and, and Hercules and, and Jim. He's not being managed by Jim, but he is a heel but this shows you how full the roster is that with all these 90-second matches, you still can't get all your stars in. Yes, yeah. Um, you got this hour, where not an hour, obviously, with, with the TV commercials and things. But here's how full the roster has been for years. I went back and, and looked. There's, it reminded me of um, just bringing people. There was a match just a couple years before this in Mid-South. Okay. Hmm. It was a tag team match. It was Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne against Tony Atlas and Andre the Giant. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There, there, was, there was a run in by the heels that was Kamala and Hacksaw Dugan. And then the, bat, the good guys ran in to save him was JYD and Mr. Wrestling number two. Those eight stars in one match. Yes. At Mid South. Yeah. That was just one match. Some shows would not have that many guys in a month that were that that star power, and that was in one match in Mid South. No, and I I think I mean it's, this is not this is not exactly the same because um, there there are some differences, but but this is this is not super dissimilar from uh, I have probably ninety seven Raw in that there's a lot going on. You've got yeah. a lot of open yeah. characters. They're pushing new people, and it's just it's just a very very good watch. And um, interestingly, as well, in terms of talking about stars, um, uh, Boyd announces that next week Ted DiBiase is going to be back, and actually he plays quite a big role in the promotion again towards the back end of 1984. And I haven't I haven't I've seen him in one promo, but he's not been in Shreveport the whole time I've been watching. So I'm looking forward to him being him being there. And plus, we've got a rematch between Johnny Mantel and Buddy Landale um, and also Adrian Street's uh, television title defence against Chris Adams as well. So um, looking forward to that one already. And, th- and this felt like a really newsworthy show again. You had the reintroduction of the Rock and Roll Express as the new tag team champions. Um, a rare North American championship match because we haven't seen a lot of Magnum over previous months. So it's nice to see right. him in a match, especially where there was some jeopardy as well. So I thought, again, really strong show. What did you think overall of this October 13th, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling? This show was packed. It was so packed that you didn't even get the uh, uh, cheesy video montage from Joel. No, we didn't, no. There was no video in there. So I was, uh, uh, But yeah, it was, a gr- it was a great episode. It was a really good episode. 
Yeah, it was, it was was really rich. And actually, in terms of recaps as well, you only got the Adrian Street Terry Taylor bit. And part, apart from that, it was all completely new content, wasn't it? So it was absolutely loaded. Um, Phil, thanks so much again for your your time today. Oh, um, thank you. Anytime. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we're, and we, we mentioned off air, there's, um, there's a certain anniversary coming up. Uh, fairly soon so i'm gonna work out what we're gonna do for that towards uh towards the back end of october so i can't believe that it's been uh that's going to be a year of watching mid-south it's 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 flown by I, th- I think i think as the uh as the seasons turn from uh summer to autumn or, or as you guys call it fall which actually makes a lot more sense considering what happened during that season i'm wondering what everyone was doing in 1984 around this time because i suspect they might have been having a bit more fun than we are at the moment in uh in 2020 but i but i digress Phil, where can people find you online if they want to want to follow or any, have any questions about um, you know Mid South around this time? Well, the easiest way to find me on on Twitter or Facebook, but Twitter is um, at Blue Eyed German. It's got a funny spelling, but if you go to Mid Mid Moments at Mid Moments, uh, look through some of the tweets that I've retweeted of you, they'll find me there at, at, at Blue Eyed German. That would be perfect. Nice. And I'll, I'll tweet out, tweet out the details when this uh, this episode drops, um, and the date of which I can't remember because I'm completely confused with all, with, all, with all the podcast recording I've been doing recently. But it'll be out very very. But you'll be, if if you're hearing this, it's out, isn't it? So I don't need to say that. So there we go. But Phil, thank you so much again for your time. It's been thank you. a wonderful look back at Miss South again, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Have a great day. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe, and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.